1: What's up, Dolphins, and welcome into the Wednesday, November the 29th edition of the Locked On Dolphins Podcast. I am your host, Travis Wingfield, with you here as always, and I'm here to bring you your daily dose of Miami Dolphins football. And you are joining us for the second day of a heavy hitting week of great guests. On today's show, we shift our focus to the defensive side of the ball as I am joined by my former podcast co-host, Kevin Dern, the famed defensive coordinator of Perfectville. Kevin joins us to discuss everything wrong with the Miami defense, from the scheme to communication and why the play fell off so dramatically. Starting Starting with the Baltimore game in week eight. And yet again, we are going to dive into some draft talk to conclude the show. And a big announcement for tomorrow's guest in the podcast. But before we get into any of that, I want to ask you guys to go ahead and subscribe to the podcast. And for more information on the Miami Dolphins, follow me on Twitter at NFL. Follow the show at LockedOnFins and check out LockedOnDolphins.com. Right now, the April Blue Chip Series is up talking about potential first-round draft picks for the Dolphins. But let's go ahead and introduce the guest for today's program. One of my favorite people to talk Dolphins football with It's Kevin Dern, formerly of the Analysis Podcast. Kevin, how the hell have you been, man?
0: Been doing good, Travis. Thanks for having me on.
1: Yeah, of course. Anytime. And uh, Kevin and I haven't had as much talk of, much of a chance to talk lately because he's been busy with a wedding coming up, and I've been doing all the stuff with Lockdown Dolphins. But we used to talk on the podcast twice a week last year during the, the fun season. I think, Kevin, that the reason the Dolphins aren't as good this year is probably because you and I are not together anymore.
0: <laughs> uh, that could be, but I, I think there's more wrong than that, so...
1: And, and we are going to get to that in the episode here. And let's go ahead and just jump right into it, Kevin, and talk about this defense. That's your specialty. But first, I want to start with the good times. Miami was 4-2. and two. Adam Gaze was 14-8 and eight as a head coach. The defense was allowing just 18.5 points per game. The run defense was among the best in the NFL. Five consecutive losses later, the defense was just as bad as it has been the previous two seasons. So what were they doing during those first six games that's different than what they're doing now over the last five games and the five straight losses?
0: I think the biggest thing is they were, uh, defending the run pretty well. I think one of the things that Baltimore kind of exposed was they did some of those unbalanced formations and double tight end sets and it kind of got Miami out of their, their traditional wide nine run fits. And I think beyond that, some of the things that have really gone wrong are the pass rushes kind of disappeared. Uh, I was looking tonight, they're 30th in the league in the sacks with only 18 that's 23 off of Jacksonville's pace. they leading the league. Um, We talked. You kind of hinted at it already. There's been a lot of missed assignments, a lack of communication. I think between the linebackers and secondary, especially, Um, missed tackles have been a, a big problem. And I think that's something that goes all the way back to when Joe Philbin was was the head coach of the team. So those are kind of the the big three things that that I think are the problems right now.
1: And it's, it's puzzling that it happened so fast. You mentioned the unbalanced line in Baltimore. That was a big problem that they talked about during the game, and it seemed to get them really off their, like you said, off their run fits. And the run defense, you know, they went from being so sharp in those first few games, and Devon Godshaw was having a great start to the season, eating up double teams, and he still kind of is. And Dominick and Sue, obviously, the great player that he is. But... Is the problem on the defensive ends? Is it the, is it the linebackers? Because we know that Cam Wake is not traditionally a great run defender, at least over the last couple of years. And Andre Branch, you know, you and I talked about it a lot last year about his struggles late down the stretch when the Dolphins' run defense was just atrocious the last month and a half or so of the season. Is it something the defensive ends can do to improve? Is it something the linebackers have to do? What? Where does the fix come?
0: I think it starts with the linebackers, and, you know, I think mostly it's kind of been Kiko Alonso. He played lights out the first five games, you know, up until that Jets game when Matt Moore brought him back from behind. But I think he's had a problem with his fills. I think teams have been able to expose sort of his his lack of power and strength. Um, You know, a lot of the teams have been running unbalanced lines and then running back weak side against him and you can get a blocker on him in space and he's just not a stack and shed guy. He's a, he's a fast flow, see the hole and hit you type guy. Um, Lawrence Timmons, I think is, has tailed off a little bit as well. And I think because of that, you're seeing teams take advantage of the defensive ends um, knowing that Burke's going to try and almost widen the linebacker alignments a little bit to, to help cover those, those outside runs and, I think Andre Branch has been a big disappointment this year in that regard. Um, Cameron Wake, he's never been a great run defender, but even he's starting to get, to get beaten in one-on-one matchups. And then when you can double and sue and now that they don't have Ray Malaluga in the middle, who is big enough to take on those blockers one-on-one um, with consistency, um, it's just kind of a mess all across the front seven. Um, less so on the interior, but... You know, as a whole, they're, they're getting gashed and, and gashed repeatedly just because I think Burks had to do so much with so many different linebacker combinations this year.
1: It's frustrating to watch for sure. It's something we've got kind of grown accustomed to. And it's I think what's frustrating for me is you look at the personnel and you you would assume that these upgrades they made at least with you know Lawrence Timmons coming over the the rock steady guy that never misses a game except for when he wanders around the streets of Los Angeles of course. <laughs> but but <Yeah. laughs> you have all these guys like Ray Malaluga, like you mentioned he goes out and gets himself arrested gets himself kicked off the team over what was a reportedly a forty dollar beer tab just insane stuff that is you know adding on to the to the pile at this point in the Dolphin season. But the personnel seems to be better than me, but guys like, for instance, you mentioned Kiko Alonso. that game against the Panthers, he was exposed in that game for his lack of change of direction ability against Christian McCaffrey. And I'm not saying that Christian McCaffrey is a guy that is going to be an easy tackle in the open field, but he wasn't even close. Is he hurt? Is he not the same player he was before? Was he never that player? Like, what's going on with Kiko?
0: You know, I'm not really sure. I, I don't think he was ever all that great at moving laterally or even dropping back in coverage and... I listened to the show you had yesterday with, with Ian on, and I think he touched on kind of the same points with Kiko. To me, he's always been kind of a downhill guy, and I think I think Miami just is over-relying on on him doing too much, and, and Matt Burke kind of said as much last week. And, you know, when he plays 100% of the snaps seemingly every week and, and has done that for a year and a half now, um, I think it's starting to catch up with him and, Teams know how to expose them, and that was one of the things I was kind of disappointed about is they really haven't improved playing situational defense. You know, Burke, I believe it was after the Tennessee game, talked about how, you know, once they got T.J. McDonald back, they'd be able to open up the playbook a little bit more, and we really haven't seen that a whole lot. And uh, I think part of it, too, is the offense just never is able to give them a lead. They're never able to play complimentary football and i think the defense is kind of eating a lot of snaps and without a bye and all the things they dealt with at the beginning of the season i think all of it's you know probably compounding you know, one thing on top of the other. And it's just making for
1: bad football at this point. You touched on a good point there that I want to bring up next, in our next segment, talking about the ability to adapt the scheme and make in-game adjustments as well as possibly incorporate more dime packages, which is more defensive backs in the field. Before I do that, I just got to remind you guys, this is Locked On Dolphins podcast. Travis Wingfield with you here as always at Wingfield NFL at Lockdown fins, of course, LockedOnDolphins.com. My guest, Kevin Dern, can be found at KevinMD4. Again, this is a Locked On Dolphins podcast. All right, we talked about the scheme a little bit and the players a little bit, but I want to do, go back more into the scheme talking about Matt Burke and kind of what he's done with in-game adjustments and that type of thing. And scheme appears to be dependent on the linebacker's athleticism in this, scheme, in, in this particular defense, and is he's rather reluctant to bring extra defensive backs onto the field. The Dolphins run almost fewer dime packages than anybody else in the NFL. So what are you seeing from that standpoint, and is it fixable?
0: I think it is fixable. Um, I don't know if it's something that's philosophically part of Burke's playbook. Um, I know he, was, he came up under Jim Schwartz, who was one of the co-creators of the Wide Nine. Um, I'll be honest, I haven't had a chance to really sit down and watch an Eagles game in, in full this year. Um, so I don't know if it's something that he's doing that you know, maybe Jim Schwartz has kind of grown and adapted his playbook. Um, I think it is fixable. I, I do kind of wonder if maybe they don't have personnel they're comfortable with, um, you know, maybe to, to drop TJ McDonald down in the box, you know, and play some dimebacker, a true buck linebacker, and put, you know, someone like Mike Thomas, who I think was the one guy who went in on a dime package against the Patriots, yeah. or even Maurice Smith back there, they're deep. Um, maybe they're just not confident in that. Maybe they want someone with more speed. I think as far as the linebackers go, they definitely need to get faster and more athletic um, you know, Stefan Anthony, I think has some speed, but you know, I, I think the knock on him has always been the ability to get the playbook. And this is a pretty simplistic defense when you, when you really break it down. So, um, that'd be my solution is to either find someone who can be a true cover safety or this offseason they need to find, figure out how to get more speed in the linebacker unit.
1: And on the podcast you mentioned yesterday with Ian Ward, he kind of quelled some of my concerns, at least in regards to the offensive personnel and what has to be done in the offseason. And I'm going to go to you to kind of help uh, ease my, my nervousness for the defense moving forward, because it seems like every week there are just glaringly obvious communication breakdowns in the secondary. And where I'm trying to you know, push my optimism is that it has to do with a unit that hasn't played together a whole lot or if, if at all. You know, you look at Xavier and Howard was hurt for a lot of the year last year, missed all of training camp and then came back and got hurt again. And then you have Cordray Tankers on the other side. He's a rookie that really was, I, I think was supposed to be more of a redshirt year for him, if not, you know, get onto the field later in the season. And then you have Rashad Jones who... You know, for my money, still one of the best box safeties in football. He had a little bit of a rust, a uh, slow start this year in preseason as well as coming into the first couple of games. But he picked it up in that area. Still not the the great cover guy, at least deep on the field. And then you've got TJ McDonald, the guy that's been playing for three games less now after missing eight games this season. So is there a lack of continuity? Is there a lack of familiarity with each other? Or what's the deal with all the breakdowns of communication?
0: Yeah, I think one of the primary factors isn't even related to the guys in the secondary. I think it's that the pass rush is pretty much disappeared over the last month I mean you know Cameron Wake has basically been shut out up until he got the the sack against New England um, but he'd been shut out since the Jets game I think that's part of it and you're asking those guys to cover longer than you would, would probably like um, but I think you touched on a lot of it you know Tanker season rookie Xavier Howard's basically played one full season and you know John Gruden kind of touched on something in the Monday night game um, the Panthers their two corners Bradbury and the other guy, I can't think of his name right now, but he said, you know, they both played as rookies and they were young guys last year. And Now that they have a year under their belts in the same system working together, they've been a lot better. Hopefully that's something that that comes into play for, for Tankersley and Howard or whoever may be starting opposite Tankersley next year. I do think with Rashad, he's always been kind of prone to freelancing when you ask him to, you know, play in that two deep look. I think he needs to be more in the box. or I think they need to figure out a way to run some single high stuff. Obviously, the introduction of McDonald, you know, I don't think they have that chemistry yet, as Ian touched on yesterday. And even, too, even in the base package, I think having to shuffle your middle linebacker from Mike Cole to Maui now you're using Chase Allen and sort of Lawrence Timmons in there as well. There's no continuity there, and, you know, I can see why there's some communication breakdowns that way. Um, you know, I think they're trying to run a defense sort of like Seattle or Minnesota, where you can keep pretty simplistic coverage concepts. They just don't have that talent at that level yet in order to do that. So, hopefully, that's something that that Burke will adjust uh, moving forward. If not this season, hopefully in the
1: off season. And you make a great point about guys taking steps in either year two or year three or whatever it might be. And going back to the podcast yesterday, talking with Ian Wharton about a guy that I've, I mean, you know that I've been fond of this guy for a while, Bobby McCain, the slot cornerback, one of the toughest positions in the NFL, if not the toughest other than quarterback, where you have to be able to cover, you know, two directions. There's no sideline to help you out in terms of an extra defender for you, but he's made a slight jump this year in what is now year three, three or four for him. So he, he comes up and makes a big jump and, that's a problem with the NFL and, and kind of the way that the league has has built itself is that it you have to have this immediate success otherwise you're out the door and i mean you see that with with Adam Gaze and the fan base i mean on our message board kevin on the fins.com there's a there's a message or a, a, a thread saying this guy bought a website called fireadamgaze.com. i mean we're talking about a coach that took a <laughs> took a 6-win team to the playoffs in his first year with kind of a, the same roster we have right now and now he's got an injured quarterback and you know a, a litany of of just crazy circumstances that have faced this team and people want, people want him gone. And I've seen people talking about Charles Harris. Oh, he's not a good pick. He's a bust because he only has one sack on the year. And it's like, there's just no patience to develop people in the league anymore. And I get that you have to, you know, win now for this business for it to work, but at the same time, you have to be able to will, be willing to develop guys. And I think when you look at, you mentioned, you know, Cordray Tankersley, you were big on him in the offseason. I was not, but I'm, I'm coming around on him more and more, even though he had a kind of rough game last week, but he's, he's looked pretty good to me lately. Devon Godshaw for my money has been one of the best rookie Draft picks we've had in a long, long time, and then whether you know you're looking at Rayquan McMillan coming back, and then you got Charles Harris. These these are young guys that ha, you know have an opportunity to develop in the scheme and, and kind of build together. And I I would rather have that patience with these guys than to just go out and replace them every two years and just keep on hoping that you strike gold. Because how many teams can do that, whether it's, you know, you look at the quarterback position, for instance, how often do you get a Russell Wilson or a Deshaun Watson or a Carson Wentz? I mean, these are generational type guys that you just have to kind of get lucky on to get. So I'll ask you the same question that I asked Ian yesterday and kind of the whole premise of our podcast is, is this roster do for complete destruction or do you think that there are pieces here that you can continue to develop and grow and on, on top of that give me a, a, an opinion on Charles Harris too because this is a guy that you know he talked about Vic Beasley and how he had kind of had nothing in his rookie year and then he comes out his second year and picks up 15 sacks on his way to a nearly defensive player of the year award so kind of using him as him as framework where do you think this roster goes next year and is Charles Harris going to be able to convert some of those hurries into sacks
0: yeah, well, I think just given some of the contract situations, especially on defense, there's really not going to be a whole lot of turnover. I mean, I could see them moving on from, you know, Lawrence Timmons. Um, he's probably the, the highest profile guy I could see them moving on from. I think one, one factor that kind of goes unnoticed or untalked about or not talked about a lot is, you know, this team really hasn't had a defensive heavy draft in a long time up until this past offseason season. You know, 2013 was really the last year they tried to do it with Deion Jordan, Jamar Taylor, Will Davis, Jelani Jenkins. All those guys are gone. You know, there hasn't been that young nucleus of guys on defense to kind of grow and develop. It's always been, you know, free agents coming in or players we've traded for coming in to be part of that defense. And it's always been kind of patchwork. So I think I'm willing to give Matt Burke another year to see if he's able to adjust – I think the coaching staff sometimes is kind of the victim of the, the smartest man in the room syndrome where, you know, they think they, they know everything and, you know, when it's not wrong, it's not their fault. I think they definitely need to do a lot better of, of self-scouting and self-evaluation. Um, for me, I think really the the two places you're going to have to kind of rebuild would be the offensive line and I would say the tight end room, and I think you could. Possibly make a case for the receiver room if you don't resign Jarvis Landry, or you know even like Ian mentioned yesterday, possibly trading Devonte Parker. I know I'm in the boat where I just don't think he's ever going to be healthy enough or live up to that potential. So right, those, those spots would be where I would you know maybe consider it a a blow up, but overall I don't think so. And then uh, as for Charles Harris, it's kind of weird because the knock on him coming out was his run defense, I've actually been pleasantly surprised by his run defense. I think he's got to work on perfecting his moves. You know, he's able to use the speed rush. He's able to dip and rip. He's had the spin move. Um, I think he's just got to refine it and, you know, I think do what he can this off season to maybe get a little bit stronger and learn to use his length better. And that'll help. But uh, I've been pretty, pretty, satisfied with how he's played so far and I think a couple of those hurries will will convert into sacks as we get down the stretch here
1: you talked about self-scouting and the ability to develop a young young nucleus and that really transitions well into our next segment here which we're going to go and talk about the draft Kevin if you want to get your draft book out we'll be back with that on the Locked On Dolphins podcast we are talking draft now on the Locked On Dolphins podcast with Kevin Dern at KevinMD4 you can follow me at Twitter On Twitter, at Wingfield NFL, follow the show at LockedOnFins, and Kevin, I kind of wanted to just get you to open up your draft book here a little bit. I trust your eye for evaluating talent, and the Dolphins have several holes, to say the least, they need to look at filling this year, and I don't think there's really necessarily positions they have to focus on in general, just because there are so many positions they can fill that would, you know, fit both need and best player available, but let's go ahead and start with the running backs that you like in this class.
0: Yeah, well, uh, I think you have to start at Saquon Barkley, no matter what, and I know you you love him, and you did the piece on him the other day, so I'll, I'll save him for you. Uh, but two guys that I really like, um, one of them is actually from uh, Miami, the South Florida area. That's Sony Michelle from Georgia. Um, I just think he's got a really good explosiveness to his runs. Georgia runs a lot of stuff inside the tackles, and something tells me that Adam Gase may want to incorporate more of those inside zone looks that he ran. You know, back with Denver when they had uh, No. Sean Moreno and then C.J. Anderson. So Sony Michelle, I think he's got good size. He's got pretty good speed. His explosiveness and his vision is great. There's another guy I kind of like and kind of fits the same mold. I don't know if he'll declare because he's a redshirt sophomore, but that would be Mike Weber from Ohio State. Oh. Um, he's a little bit small, but I think you could put you know 10, 15 pounds on his frame and. He does have some breakaway speed, or at least for the Big Ten, he does. But uh, kind of the same mold as as Sony Michelle. Those are the two guys that I I kind of like for Miami best.
1: Hopefully, the J.K. Dobbins is emergence at Ohio State makes him come out because that Dobbins kid, that freshman, he's he's something else too. Um, yeah. I, I like both those guys as well. But and then we're gonna move on to the receiver position now and just I already talked about running backs previously, so I, I like those guys as well. So i good, good notes there. But at receiver, you know, we talked about possibly replacing Devontae Parker yesterday on the podcast and I kinda looked the two guys that I've had an eye on all year, and they're two bigger body guys that can kind of play that, you know, that post position and kind of get go rebound the basketball for you, to, so to speak, to kind of put you in a basketball term. But uh, Indiana's Simi Cobbs, he had a dominant opening game against Ohio State. I don't know if you recall that game way back in August, uh, the opening I'll night of the season. That one, yeah. And he was just plucking everything in that night. And that's against a, you know, a secondary of Ohio State that has some talent, just hasn't really played that well this year. But uh, him and then Alan Lazard from Iowa State, he wanted to go to Iowa State because he had family that had gone there, and it was important to him to help rebuild that program, but he, he's a... He is a top-level receiver. Like He could have played probably anywhere he wanted to, chose Iowa State, and just dominates the Big 12 there. So those are two guys that I like. And then on the offensive line cap, I think you and I can both kind of touch on this a little bit. A guy that we talking talking about Ohio State that we both probably like a little bit is the center, Billy Price from Ohio State. And he has some of that outside athleticism that Mike Pouncey used to have before all the hip injuries and all the stuff slowed him down. And he can do stuff in the phone booth. I just like his game on both levels. And there's a center that you keep telling me about. And you and I both agree that we have to make a move on the center position this year. And there's a guy from Arkansas that you're big on. Why don't you talk about him a little bit?
0: Yeah, so that would be Frank Ragnow. Um, I really like him. I was actually kind of turned on to him by one of the, the fellow members we have on the a uh, guy named Disgust Debate. He really liked him. Uh, I started watching a few of his games. Uh, I, I think he's actually hurt now, but he should be back for the Senior Bowl and, and all that stuff. Um, I forget the injury, but he's got a great frame. He's, he almost kind of looks like a tackle. He's like 6'5, 315 pounds. He's got really long arms. Um, he's one of the few centers I've seen in college that can pull and get out wide sort of the way that, you know, Kevin Mawai, the old Jets center, could do. And even some of the stuff that Pouncy, you know, used to be able to do for the Dolphins. Um, but I think he's just got such a great frame. He never really seems to lose much ground off the snap. Um, you know, he, he just, he's a solid dude in the middle, and I think he's really a – a guy that I would look for, you know, maybe in the the third round area for Miami. And then I've got to give a a quick plug to two other guys. Um, Will Hernandez, the guard from UTEP, and Isaiah Wynn, the guard from Georgia. I really like both of those guys as as maybe guys who could come in and play. Uh, Left guard for Miami, maybe they kick Jesse Davis to right guard or right tackle. And I think that gives you two big bodies on the interior, you know, depending on what they do at center.
1: I love when you talk about small school of prospects. Those are the guys that you know you, you, you want to hear a lot about because they're kind of hard to get an eye on them with limited tape and limited exposure. The you know on the on the national TV uh, stage. So cool to hear about that. And then uh, the next position I kind of wanted to talk about was an area that. You know, I think that defensive tackle coming into the year was a, a spot that we were all really worried about. I remember, a Don Terry Poe visited, and that was supposed to be kind of the, the sigh of relief. Okay, we'll be okay at defensive tackle now next to Sue. And then you draft Godshaw, and he has a good year. Jordan Phillips, you know, he's he's still that same hit or miss player he's always been, but he gives you a few good reps a game. And then Vincent Taylor, when he's gotten into the game, has played, you know, okay, I guess. I don't, I don't really have an opinion on him yet, but it's kind of become one of the deeper positions when you consider in Dominic and Sue. And Ian Wharton was adamant that he's not going and he anywhere the money's too hard to move and the Dolphins absolutely love Sue. But there's a guy I want to talk about just in case that happens because I love him so much and I watched him kick the crap out of my Washington State Cougars this last Saturday night in the Apple Cup and it's Vita Vey, the defensive tackle from the University of Washington. He was in the backfield, Kevin, every single play, like literally pushing guys into the backfield, walking them back there. And the Cougars ran the ball for negative 24 yards. I know that counts sacks, mm-hmm. but they had 15 carries for negative 24 yards in the game, and that was mostly because of Vita Vey. And there is another guy at Washington that I think that you liked that had a big part of that as well.
0: Yeah, um, switching kind of the second level of the defense, um, Keyshawn Beer, the outside linebacker. Um, I haven't gotten to see a Washington game this year, but I remember some of his games and I've seen some of his videos online. Um, if Miami's going to add a player with speed at that position right now, I kind of have him earmarked as my top guy. I haven't had a chance to see Dorian O'Daniel from Clemson. Um, I've, I've heard some good things about him. The only Clemson game I, I caught glimpses of was when they lost to Syracuse this year. But uh, Keyshawn Bier is probably my top outside linebacker prospect that would be a good fit for the dolphins add yeah. some speed to that unit
1: yeah i like that element a lot of talking about adding speed to the defense because it's, it's an area that can really improve it and he is all over the field and there's a couple other guys that i forgot the name pronunciations offer me but there's a guy from stanford i'm not gonna even try his name i'll get more on him for you guys later on a different show and then the kid from usc and then also a couple of alabama linebackers i'd like but we'll talk about that in the future going back to the defensive line i kind of skipped on on you there kevin talking about vita vea there's another couple guys on the defensive line you wanted to talk about
0: yeah, um, so I, I really like two of the defensive ends from Ohio State uh, for Miami. Um, maybe I'm a little biased here just because this guy's from Cincinnati as well, but Sam Hubbard and then Jalen Holmes, I think both of those guys, they're both six-five. they're over 265 pounds, they're, they're long. Uh, Hubbard was actually recruited to go to Ohio State as a safety um, and put on a bunch of weight. Um, I think both of those guys would be really good fits in Miami's wide nine system. Um one guy I really want to kind of get a better look at you know as we as after I get through the wedding which is a month away from today um is Duke Ejofor from Wake Forest um I've seen a couple clips of him he's just kind of nasty with his hands and physical I don't know that he's quite as athletic um as you would like um same kind of goes for Marcus Davenport but in the opposite fashion he's at U- University of Texas San Antonio I know Dolphins fans will cringe and, and you know, go for their safety blankets here, but he kind of looks just like Deion Jordan did. <laughs> He's like 6'6", 250. Um, he looks like a first or second rounder to me. Easy. Um, I don't know about the level of competition in Conference USA, but he can hold the edge. I saw him cover a running back from the line of scrimmage outside on a wheel route. He's pretty good speed. And then one underrated guy, I don't think he'll be an early guy, but I really like Davin Bellamy out of Georgia. He's an outside linebacker playing the same role that Justin Houston and, and Cornelius Washington did. Um, he's a big dude, 6'5", about 250. He's had some kind of hand issue. Every game I've seen this year, he's had a club on his right hand. Um, obviously, he's a three four outside linebacker, but I think Miami could get him and put some weight on him. and he could almost be sort of like uh, a younger version of William Hayes. Um, but those are my guys I like on the D-line.
1: I'm really glad you brought up the University of Texas San Antonio because I was talking about Marcus Davenport on Twitter, and I got a follow, and then I followed him back, and then immediately got uh, private messages, DMs, whatever you call them, on Twitter. And it was a, a cornerback from the University of Texas San Antonio named Dev, Devron Davis. And he was sending me clips of his film, And I I don't know if he thought I was a scout or what it was, but he was sending me these clips and talking to me. Like I, like I was somebody important, and I, I was just kind of going back and forth. I'm like, hey, you know, what are some of your favorite coverages? What are some of your favorite alignments? You know, What kind of defense do you guys play on there, or what, what your preference is? And are you going to the Senior Bowl, and, and all this kind of stuff? And he said he hasn't gotten invite to the Senior Bowl yet, but he is talking to the East-West Shrine game, and he might get a chance there. And he's talked to the Seahawks, the Niners, and the, the Raiders, and the Chargers, so all these West Coast teams. And I told him, well, hey, if the Seahawks are on to you, Miami will probably be on to you because he's a 6'1", uh, lengthy type of cornerback that weighs two ten, so he has that size and that prototype to fit Miami. So another sleeper for you guys there on the podcast here. Kevin, is there anybody else you wanna talk about?
0: Um, make offense Fitzpatrick's probably my my favorite corner, but I think you said you had a a piece coming out about him soon. So I don't want to want to spoil anything there.
1: That is actually up on LockedOnDolphins.com right now. I had about, I think 16 gifts looking at what he could do from pretty much every position. Kevin, he plays a slot. He plays, you know, the single high He plays two deep. He plays on the perimeter with press. He plays off. It's just, it's really, really fun to watch if you're a fan of defense.
0: Yeah. I was actually talking to uh, Ian on Twitter about him earlier. Um, or I guess last night actually, And uh, I kind of asked him the question, you know, if you're the Dolphins and you're on the board with Bradley Chubb and Minka Fitzpatrick, who do you pick? And I think we both kind of settled on Fitzpatrick just because of that need. And I think you can find some of those other DNs later on. But uh, I think he's very versatile, like you said. So um, he's a player I really want to watch, you know, in the bowl game and as the the draft offseason
1: progresses. That says a lot to me because I know how much you like those good pass rushers and, and especially mm-hmm. in Bradley Chubb too. So good stuff there, Kevin. Let's go ahead and get out of here for the day. I, I appreciate you coming on the show, man. And, and it means a lot to me that you had a chance to do this. And congrats on the wedding and, and hope it all goes well and uh, let us know how it goes.
0: Yeah, thanks a lot. Thanks for having me on.
1: Again, that's Kevin Dern at KevinMD4 on Twitter, the former co-host of the Analysis podcast with yours truly. Kevin always provides great defensive analysis and we'll have him on the podcast again here soon. And speaking of guests on the Locked On Dolphins podcast here, I'm going to have a huge guest on tomorrow's show. None other than Joe Shad himself of the Palm Beach Post, formerly of ESPN College Football Coverage, one of the biggest beat writers that the Dolphins have. Personally, my favorite beat writer. We've kind of been in cahoots over the the course of the season. He's been sharing some of my work on his columns on the film Don't Lie session midweek when he t- breaks down the Dolphins film, but he's going to be on the podcast tomorrow. So check out that episode and we'll have that for you on the Thursday edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast. Leave us a rating and review. Check out the other Locked On Sports podcast for all your local and national coverage of your favorite teams. Follow me on Twitter at NFL, and check out LockedOnDolphins.com. Be back tomorrow with another edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast, your daily dose for Miami Dolphins football.